Well, good morning. How you guys doing? God is good, and all the time. Uh, my name is John, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Hallmark Baptist. Well, actually, my name is Michael, and I, you're probably blessed that I'm not the pastor here at uh, Hallmark Baptist Church. And I pastor in, in Fountain, Colorado, uh, called Cross Creek Church, and it's a blessing and honor to get to be here with you guys. Uh, our family came in for Blair's wedding last night and for Thanksgiving this week. And uh, so we're, uh, you guys are in this series called The Psalms of the Season. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Psalm 37. Now, we'll be in, in that psalm today. And as uh, was mentioned earlier, I, I don't know if you guys wrestle with this, but I think most of us at, at different times in our lives, we wrestle with this idea is, why does it seem that the wicked seem to prosper? Why does it seem the bad guy always wins? And so as we look at this uh, Psalm 37, we're going to kind of look at this thought because I know there's, there's some here that maybe you, uh, you go to work and, and you're faithful to your job and, and you try to, to, to live the way God wants you, to do things right, but the other guy, the other lady gets the promotion. You know, or you, or you, uh, you try to, to walk in purity, but it seems like your, your friends are the ones that always gets the date, right? And you're, there's this fear that I'm going to be a, a 50-year-old cat lady. We, we, all, we all wrestle with this on different levels, right? Like, why do the wicked prosper? And, and there's some things that, that I wrestle with that I think that we as an American church wrestle with. And I wonder, do people in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world, do they have the same thought? What do we do when, when bad guys win, or is this an American struggle? And a couple years ago, I met this lady named Alicia, and her, her picture will be on the screen here. And uh, she grew up in Moldova. And so she was talking to, to some pastors. She works with Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child now. But as a five-year-old growing up in a communist country, she wrestled with the same thing. Why is it our, our family goes to church but it seems like those who don't go to church get everything, and, and here we are struggling with nothing. And she said at the age of five, she received an Operation Christmas Child box, and it changed her perspective. In that box, you know, we, we go, many of you guys, you guys brought, I, I think, close to 300 boxes at your church. And so um, she, she got this box with these random gifts in it, and in her box were markers and some crayons. And as she opened up that box as somebody who loved art, she just, in that moment, she said, I realized that God saw me. Isn't that awesome to think that God sees a five-year-old girl in Moldova? And that God sees you? Like, we all struggle with this, is why do the wicked prosper? Now, I don't know if you guys know this. Maybe you guys learned this as you do Operation Christmas Child every year. But we were told that from every box, seven to ten people hear the gospel. Seven to ten people, so 300 boxes, close to 300 boxes here. That's 3,000 people that will hear the gospel uh, for you throwing in some dollar store uh, gifts into a box. But it it's brings along this, this idea of, and God sees us. God sees you in your struggle. So here in Psalm 37, King David is writing this, and, and David is older in years, and he's lived this out in his life. We know the story, right? David was a teenager when he was anointed king. Uh, this wasn't something he asked for. This wasn't something he, he applied for. Even his family, he was an afterthought. He's anointed king as a teenager, but David spent most of his 20s on the run. And there were opportunities when, when David had to take things into his own hand, but he left it in the hands of God. And, and in that, uh, King Saul went back to the comfort of the palace. David got to enjoy the, the discomfort of the cave. 
And so David is writing this to, to let us see from his perspective what we can do when it seems the wicked prosper. This is not just an American thing. This, I mean, all throughout scriptures we see this theme. Well, why do the wicked prosper? And so in Psalm 37, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Uh, eventually we're going to read the whole, the whole chapter. But what I want, I want to ask you guys to do is to stand with me. And, and sometimes we have our, our people stand when we read God's word. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we start here in Psalm 37. He says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Threat not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he shall not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of peace. God, I, we thank you that your word is, is active, it's alive. And it speaks to our, our thoughts and even the intentions of our heart. So we ask that in these next few moments, we would allow the Holy Spirit to, to have the freedom to, to speak. I pray that you give us the courage to, to listen and then the boldness to act. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. So we're going to look at uh, three things t- today and, and look at what do we do when it seems like the wicked prosper? What do we, what do, we do when the, the wicked win. So the first one is this. If you're taking notes, is when bad guys win, trust. That we've got to trust. That trusting is more than showing up on Sunday morning and singing about the goodness of God. Trusting is understanding what I don't understand or don't feel like God is good, that God is still good. Because I think for most of us, especially if you're a church person, we, we with our heads, we understand that God is sovereign. But what does that mean? I mean, if, if God is sovereign, but not, God is not good, it's not really a good thing. So we've got to trust that God is good, that God knows what he is doing. And so in these first 11 verses, David gives us three things that he tells us basically to put off. And then three positive things to put on with this idea of trust. So what does it mean to trust God? If we're going to trust God, these things will be evident or they will not be evident in our life. So let's look at the negative. What are, what are we as, as Christians, what are we to, to put off? First thing, if we're, we're going to trust God, we've got to put off worry. Right? Worry about nothing, pray about everything. What did he say? Fret not yourself because of evil doers. Verse 1, verse 7, verse 8, he uses this, this phrase, fret not. That word fret means to burn. Right? So you begin to burn. And so it's, it's like this, you ever notice when you worry, you worry, right? When you worry, you just kind of, then you begin to worry about it more and more, and it just like it's this fire that begins to, to burn inside of you, and then it just consumes you. And, and who knows, 80, 85% of the things that you worry about never take place. Fret 
not. And so if you're going to trust God, it's, it's this idea of you, you put off, you take off worry. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, we go to God. And so he says, put off worry. The second thing he tells us that we need to put off is envy. In verse uh, 1 again, he says, be not envious of wrongdoers. So we've got to be willing to put off envy. And this, this statement confronts our selfishness. Right? When we, we see what other people have and we don't have, and we're envious, and, and there's times in our lives where we, maybe if I just, I can live like them but not experience the consequences that we know that are coming. And so he says, put off envy. I love what he says in verse 2. He says, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I like to have a, a nice green yard. Anybody else like to have green grass? And I know I'm from Colorado, so when I say grass, you guys think of something else completely different than what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about actual grass that you mow in your yard. And so when you think about grass in Colorado, you, it is dry, and so it, it takes work. It's not like, oh, yeah, the grass will grow. You, you have to work at it. But because the sun is so intense there in, in Colorado, I can see, because I, I like green grass, I can see the difference from the morning to the afternoon in the shade of green in my grass because of how hot it is? Why? Because it's temporary. And, and what David is reminding us of is this, is that man, they may seem to be prospering, but they're soon going to fade. Right? Soon they will fade. Over and over in this passage, as we'll read here in a little bit, is they will be cut off. And so David says, put off envy. The third thing he says to put off in verse 8, he says, put off anger. He says, refrain from anger. And that, that word, that first word, anger, there, is the, the imagery, the picture of is when, when somebody gets mad, you notice like their nostrils begin to flare. And if, if, if the kids are in the room, there's things that your parents do that you know, all right, I'm crossing the line. Like my dad, my, da my dad is here, and so my dad, when, when we knew that it was time to get out of the room, or it was time to stop, like uh, John needed to start being good, you could see it in his jaw. His jaw would clench. And then I, I remember thinking as a kid, I cannot wait to bring out the jaw. Like, I want my kids to fear the jaw. I, I don't know what that is, but I, I, I probably need counseling. But put, he says, refrain from anger. Then he goes on and says, and forsake wrath. That wrath is like this, this explosion of anger. And so David is telling us, man, if you, you really trust God, or you trust in the goodness of God, then you've got to be willing to take things off. Right? Put off envy, put off anger, put off all of these things. Well, then he goes on and he gives us three things that we need to, to put off. And he kind of changes his, his perspective, his tone, because in verses 3 through 9, David mentions the Lord five times. Five more times he, he refers to the Lord in, in the third person pronoun. And so he's, he's reminding us, and he is the Lord. He is in control. He sees you. So what are the, what are the commands that we need to put on? Well, here's for me, when I, when I think about a lack of trust, I think for me it's when I lose focus or when I have the wrong focus. When we, when we focus on the prosperity of the wicked, we lose sight of the promises and the faithfulness of God. 
So we've got to learn to change our focus. That I, I, I'm not focused on the, the prosperity of God, but I'm focused on the promises, or the prosperity of the wicked, I'm focused on the promises of God. So what do we put on? First one is this, we put on faithfulness. In verse 3, trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. To put on faithfulness. That in those seasons where we don't see that God is working, we can trust that he is. In those seasons that we don't feel like God is working for our good, we can trust that he is. And so he says, to befriend faithfulness. In, In the Passion Version, it says, to feast on faithfulness. Now, being a Baptist church, you guys know what it means to feast, right? Amen? All right. So I'm not admitting that because I, like, I just did that. How many of you feasted on Thursday? And then you're like, man, I, I'm so full. I'm never going to eat again. And like two hours later, you're back in the fridge and you're looking for more food. He says to feast on the faithfulness of God. Think about that. What, what does that look like in your life? How can I feast on his faithfulness? Maybe it's just taking some time to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. And you look back and see how God has worked in your life, and you see his faithfulness. David says, man, feast on his faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. How can we trust God? It's put on patience. Verse 7, verse 9, wait patiently. Now, we, we, there's times we're going to have to wait right? And you have a choice of how you wait. David says, wait patiently. I'll be honest, my spiritual gift is not patience. Wait patiently on the Lord to trust in his timing. God has never been late. And there's some promises of God that you may have to wait a year, you may have to wait five years, you may have to wait a decade. There's people, many of people in the Old Testament who never saw some of the things that God promised, but he fulfilled them. So we wait patiently to put on patience that God is never late. The third thing we put on is humility. In verse 11, he says, the meek shall inherit the land. Now, meekness is not weakness. I want to read this quote to you. This is referring to this idea of meekness. It's, a humble or meek person is like a strong but broken horse, powerful yet submissive to his master's touch. I wonder how submissive we are to the touch of God. That we would walk in humility. Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. So we walk in humility. We put on humility. In in verse 11, he says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And I think that's what we're after, right? We're after abundant peace. That when things seem like they're chaotic, when it seems like the wicked are prospering, that we can walk in abundant peace. How? We trust in Him. We trust in the provisions of God. We keep our focus off of the the prosperity of the wicked and on the promises of our God, who is faithful. In verse 4, he says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean, to delight? It's, It's to be captivated by Him. To be captivated in all he is and, and who he is. That we delight ourselves in God. When we delight in him, that is when we experience that abundant peace 
that we long for. That, that peace from God is not dependent on my circumstances. It's dependent on who he is. It's dependent on you delighting in him. We have to learn when bad guys win to trust. The second thing is that when bad guys win is be content. Be content. As Paul tells us, I have found whatever state I am that I can be content. How is that possible? He says in Philippians 4.13, it's through Christ. Christ is the one that gives you the strength to be content. But what happens for, for me, what happens for most of us is one of the things that, that robs us of contentment is comparison. Have you ever been guilty of, of comparing? You, you look at what God is doing in somebody else's life or what God is not doing in somebody else's life, and you look at yourself like, man, and we begin to compare, and comparison will always rob you of contentment. He gives us a couple things that we need to be content in. So the first thing he says, be content that God will judge. That God will judge. God sees. He sees your faithfulness. He sees the wicked. And, and so let me read this in verses 12 through 15. He says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. I love this verse, verse 13. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. Can you imagine God laughing? What that would be like? The Lord laughs at the wicked. Why? For he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring him down, uh, to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. The wicked may not see justice in this life, but they will reap the reward. God sees, and we, we have to be content that he is the judge and not me. And that he will make all things right. The Lord laughs at the wicked. Be content that God will judge. Be content that God will provide. When we lose sight of the provisions of God, we're always going to be focused on the prosperity of the wicked. God is a God of provision. He says over and over in his word that he will provide for your need, not your greed. He is the God of provision. Let's read this. In, in verses 16 through 26, he says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. To be captivated by God. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Be content in the provisions of God. God will provide. So I want to share with you a couple of thoughts on this idea of principles of provision. 
In just these verses we've read, there's a couple principles that we can pull out. First one, in verse 16, he says, less is more. When, when you're on the right side, less is more. God's, God's been using common core math longer than any of us have, right? Like, God's 90% is way better than our 100%. He says, less is more. The, the, the less, the, the little that we have, if we are in right with God, is way more than if we're separated from God. Another principle of provision in verse 17, the Lord will uphold the righteous. That the, the wicked's arms will be broken. But God will uphold you. God upholds his children. Verse 21, he says, the righteous are generous givers. And I know John mentioned this earlier, the, the generosity of this church and every time I have the, the opportunity to, to come and preach uh, here to Hallmark, I, I, always, I always want to say thank you because your generosity, 12 and a half years ago when we moved to, to Fountain, Colorado, a church of 40 people, and your generosity through that first year is what helped our church really survive. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for, for your generosity to, to our church. Verse 24, another provision or principle of his provision is you might fall, but you won't fail. He says, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. There's going to be times as, as believers in our faith, we're going to stumble. But though you fall, you will not fail. And you picture this idea of the provisions of God, that, that God is faithful, that he, he says that you being evil, you being wicked, knowing and wanting to do good for your kids, how much more does your Heavenly Father want to do for you? How much more does your Heavenly Father want to provide for you? And so you get this picture of, if, you, if you've ever had a kid, say if I, my seven-year-old daughter, if we were walking down the street and, and McKenna, I have, her, I have her hand, and she begins to stumble, what is a good father going to do? I'm not going down with you. Right? And I, I think sometimes that's how we have the picture of, of image of God is when we fail or when we fall, like God's like, I'm done. Now he says he upholds you. It's like taking your little kid into the ocean. And, and there's a difference between your kid holding on to you and you holding on to them. And God says, I got you. You may fall, but you will not fall. You will not be cast head long. And so his provisions of, of faithfulness to us. And, and the last thing in verse 25, another principle we see is, you will not be forsaken. I have been young and now I'm old. How many of you that really resonates with you, right? Played basketball the other night. I have been young. Now I am old. But what does he say? I have not seen the righteous forsaken. God sees you. God will not forsake you. In those times where you, you lose focus and you mean to focus on the prosperity of the wicked, man, you've got to change that. You need to focus on the promises of God. So what do we do when the wicked win? We trust. We learn to be content. Third thing is we, we just be faithful. Just stay faithful. Read these verses in verse 27. Turn away from evil and do good. Just do good. When the wicked seem to prosper, just do good. Just be faithful. 
So shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. Again, he says, he will not forsake his saints. Uh, They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Again, he says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless. Behold the upright, for there's a future for the man of peace. The transgressor shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So what do we, what do, we do when evil seems to prosper? Just be faithful. Just keep doing good. Why? Because we have the promise that, that God sees. When I think about the year 2020, it's been a different year for everybody, right? For some, it's, it's been harder than others. Some of you have, have tried to learn how to homeschool kids. Some of you have probably been busted on a Zoom call when you were like, oh, wait a minute, and you walked in. We've all, like this year has been, been crazy. As John mentioned earlier, missionaries and being stuck. Do I go back? Can I go back? And, and, and pastors are just struggling with like, what, what are we doing? And I believe for, for a lot of people, 2020 has, has caused us to lose focus. We started focusing on the, the prosperity of the wicked rather than the promises of God. He is faithful. He calls us. And then when you lose focus, just be content. Trust that God is at work even when you can't see him. That we can be content in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to close with this this verse. Hebrews chapter 12 and and verse 12. Specifically, the author of Hebrews is is talking in this verse. He's talking to believers who are, are experiencing the discipline of God. That God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children. When we think about this idea of, of 2020, there's a lot of people that are just struggling. There's Christians all over the world that are struggling. And, and it's caused a lot of people to lose faith. It's caused a lot of people just to, to walk away from it. I don't know, studies, some studies show 30 to 40 percent of, of Christians have, have kind of walked away from it. Why? It's because they've been rocked. I don't know, do you guys like to watch fights? Like, not, not necessarily in the parking lot at Walmart. Uh, I, I remember in high school, you knew there was a fight by the, the crowd that was rushing to it. But I, I like to watch, like, UFC, and I like to watch people get knocked out. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I, I think I inherited it from my dad. And so, there's something about when somebody just gets rocked. I mean, some of you may have watched some fights last night. Only in 2020, would like an NBA player box a YouTube guy and get knocked out. Like Mike Tyson's fighting again. Isn't that crazy? But when you think about what happens 
when somebody catches a fist or a foot to the face. And you see them get rocked. Right? Their, their hands drop and their knees become weak. And then what does the guy do? If he's a good fighter, he pounces on him, right? Like, oh, I'm going to wait and let him catch his breath. No, he, he pounces on him. And what, well, I want to read this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, because this, I, I think this hopefully will be encouragement for a lot of us in our faith. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. There, there's a lot of believers, maybe in this room, maybe watching online, that your hands are down. Like all of these things that, that have come at us this year have, have caused us to, man, we're, we're just weak. And what he says is, man, lift your hands. Strengthen your knees. And God is faithful. And I believe another picture maybe that you could understand this concept is more likely what he's talking about in Hebrews is he's talking about a runner running a race. If you've ever seen a runner run a marathon and they lose control at the end of the race, you guys ever watch those? Maybe go, uh, if you want to watch it and laugh at people, go to YouTube and, and, and Google this or, or YouTube it. But they lose function of everything, right? You guys ever seen that? When the runner just like, he's like, he can't even stand up. His knees are weak. His hands are down here. And what happens is a lot of times another runner will come, come alongside him and, and help him to the finish. That's why church is so important. That's why your connect groups are so important is when you begin to, to drop your hands and your knees begin to get weak, there's somebody that can come alongside you and, and encourage you. And so I would maybe encourage you if, if there's somebody you haven't seen in church in a while, Maybe give them a call. Encourage them. We've got to stay faithful. We've got to, to keep fighting. Now, the other day we were watching uh, the, I think it's called the Chronicles of Christmas, part two on Netflix, and my, my seven-year-old daughter, she's like, is that guy the bad guy? I said, yes. And she's like, oh, that's not good. And then she said, well, the bad guys always lose. What, what if we all had that kind of childlike faith? reality is this. He says, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weakened knees. And that's my encouragement for you. How do we do that? We've got we've to trust. God is in control. God sees the wicked. God sees me. We've got to learn to be content and trust that, that God will provide for me. And then he just says, just do good. Just be faithful. Keep swinging. Just keep fighting. Because when you, when you drop your hands, Satan's going to attack. He says, be faithful. And the reality is this. It's not, this isn't a, a message that says, hey, just, just suck it up and fight harder. Because it's you can't do that in your own strength. How do we do that? Well, there, there was a day a couple thousand years ago on a Friday that looked pretty bad. It, it looked like the enemy had won. What, what do we do? Sunday came, and Jesus rose victorious. Like we can fight because the victory is in Christ. 
that he has given us victory over our, our sins. We don't have to walk in that guilt, but we can walk in the freedom and the grace of God. And, and I think when we, we lose sight of the promises of God and we focus on the prosperity of the wicked, sometimes we tend to forget we are wicked too. Right? We all need the grace of God. It's only by his grace and, and, uh, that you can have a relationship with him. But it's because Jesus is victorious. So I want to ask you to, to close your eyes and to bow your heads. And I want you just to think about that question. Where is your focus? The band's going to come up. We're going to continue to worship. But I want you just to, to think about that. Where is your focus? Am I focused on the, the prosperity of the wicked? Or the promises of God. And I want to encourage you. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your knees. Why? Because He is victorious. God, we thank you so much that you are a good God. We're thankful that you see a, a five year old girl in a communist country. God, we thank you that you see us here in, in, in Fort Worth and in Burleson, that you see us. I pray that you beat those in this room right now that, man, this year has been hard. It seems like he or she is winning. God, may we just trust in you. May we learn to be content in you. May we just be faithful. May we find the strength in you to, to lift our hands and to strengthen our knees. We're going to continue to worship. In, in a moment, we're going to stand and sing together. And the altar is open. If you want to come forward and, and maybe you just want to say, God, forgive me. I've, I've weakened in my faith and I, I want to have the courage. I want to have the boldness through Christ to, to, to lift my hands and to strengthen my knees. Maybe it's to pray for somebody else that you know is struggling right now. we can trust in the goodness of God because Jesus rose victorious so may we take this time to just feast on the faithfulness of God